Hello everyone. Today we are going to talk about Balzac, a tremendous workaholic, an encyclopedic thinker, and a coffee aficionado, in short, ambition personified. Imagine yourself struggling to understand a complicated situation in your life. You are trying to figure out what exactly is the problem. You are trying to decide where to look so that you could understand what is going on, whether it be a family problem or perhaps a political situation in your country, whatever it may be, it is a natural human tendency that we want to unify our thoughts and find a principle under which everything becomes clearer, everything becomes comprehensible. In such a scenario, we must go nowhere but to Balzac. He will equip you with a sharp wit that could slice through the illusory excuses and allow you to look at the heart of the problem. Balzac drank around 50 cups of coffee a day. People make a lot of satire and fun of this fact without probing into the real reason why he did so. He had taken upon himself to study human nature inside out, in all its aspects, under every condition possible, whether it be poverty, affluence, political corruption, you name it. He was producing a classic novel after almost every three months consecutively for 20 years from around 1828 to 1848. All of these novels were compiled under one of the most ambitious literary projects ever taken by a writer, La Comédie Humaine. There are in total 90 novels in La Comédie Humaine, which present to us more than 3000 characters. Balzac's aim was to twist and turn human nature by putting it under various conditions and demonstrate to us its richness and depth in as much variety as possible, in as much detail as possible. Taking up such a mammoth of a task requires constant energy, perseverance and determination which obviously comes from 50 cups of coffee each morning. It would be interesting to look at the relationship between literary output and coffee consumption because it is not just Balzac who had this weird habit of drinking insane amount of coffee. There are other thinkers like him in terms of literary production who had the same kind of obsession for coffee. For example, Kierkegaard and Voltaire that come straight to mind as one think of the big names. Anyways, enough of coffee. Let's get to the serious stuff. Firstly, the name La Comédie Humaine has an ironic reference to Dante's Divine Comedy. In Dante's times, people were habituated to look at the world as a stage where God had the final say. He was an active agent who intervened in human actions and decisions, which required a divine view of things to comprehend reality. In the 19th century, the divine model of understanding the world was overtaken by a social critic, or in other words, a writer. Who is the God of La Comédie Humaine? It is certainly not Dante's God, it is Balzac himself. Every character in La Comédie Humaine is at the mercy of Balzac's pen. He is the one who decides whether Esther will live or die. There is no Virgil to guide him like there is in Dante's Divine Comedy. This literary comparison highlights first and foremost the waning away of the role of religion in human affairs, at least at the level of intellectual analysis. Religious salvation in Dante is the end, and our life is the means to that end. In Balzac, religion becomes the means to materialistic ends. In a powerful scene in A Harlot High and Low, the harlot named Esther is psychologically tortured because she is unsure whether to become attached to an old smelly baron as a harlot wholeheartedly and jeopardize her love for Lucia. At that crucial moment, she goes to her knees and prays to God like a devout nun. 
and stands up after the prayer and decides ultimately that he will be the best harlot of her times. This is just one case of how religion is subsumed in Balzac's novel as a means to worldly ends. In 14th century Europe, divinities were the talk of the day. By the time humans were breathing in the 19th century, they were preoccupying themselves with human affairs and did not much care about what Zeus does with Athena. Balzac's world is fundamentally a nexus of material interests. In it, every character is entrapped or to put it in Heideggerian terms, is thrown in the world of material interests, where he or she has to survive. But that makes the world as messy as our world. It does not help us to understand the world any better. In the presence of La Comédie Humaine, he says that the idea of La Comédie Humaine originated in a comparison between humanity and animality, just as in the animal world reigns the rule of the survival of the fittest. In the same way, in the human world, the same rule applies, but there is a crucial difference between the animal and the human world, i.e. money. Animals compete for food and get food, while humans compete for money and gain social reputation. Obviously, they feed themselves with food as well. Here we get the answer to the question with which we began the video. If you want to understand the world around you, you need to look nowhere else but at the circulation of money. That is Balzac's answer. This answer is very brief and realistic to an extent. It also satisfies our natural urge to unify under a neat principle all the various patterns of human behavior so that we can comfortably understand all that goes on around us. For Balzac, money is the motor of social machinery. In each novel, there are painstaking details of how the wealth is circulated, whether it be in the form of Grande's heritage to his daughter Eugenie, or Vautrin's vicious plans to use a harlot to milk money from the state apparatus. Ultimately, everything is about money. Marx's best friend and collaborator Engels once said that he had learned more from Balzac than professional historians, economists and statisticians combined. Marx had paid various tributes to Balzac in the same vein. Balzac had described human condition in so much detail that it only needed a Marx to derive Marxism out of it. This is not to say that Marx borrowed everything from Balzac. It actually throws light on the power of literature as providing the analytic lens that can be employed in understanding not just ourselves inwardly, but also the social, political and economic world order we see around us. Polybius in the second book of his history describes the Gauls as attacking the Romans so that they can plunder Rome. And it is not just the Gauls. The rottenness of Roman Empire also had money at its center. Earlier Sparta had won the Peloponnesian War. Before the war they had no money. After the war they had so much wealth that it brought down the best warrior city-states to have ever existed in the western world. Waging wars result in catastrophic loss of human lives, but it is the raison d'etre of the military industry. When the US or EU promises billions of dollars of aid, they are not going to give paychecks to the countries to whom they are providing aid. They will give all this money to their own military industry to produce weapons. Well, ultimately, it is all about money. Balzac puts enough flesh on his thesis of money as the motor of social machinery through different perspectives. While traversing his pages, we find that he is a contemporary writer. Not a contemporary because he lives amongst us, but because his characters are with us everywhere. We encounter them in our families, in our politicians, in shopping malls, in shop owners. Every trivial family problem, whether it be between wife and husband or master and maid, and in the same way other big problems like political envy and competition for social reputation, 
all problems have money at their heart. While reading him, the reader is often struck by the nudity of self-interest and the extent of vice employed to gain it. But it is not all dark in La Comédie Humaine. There are characters like Eugénie Grondet who know how to manage money well. If in your life you see elders fighting in the room over something, it most probably is about some money matter. No matter what spin they put on it, it necessarily has something to do with money. That is what Balzac would suggest to you. Now knowing this should not make us adamant on fueling the problem and going around telling everyone that you are doing this for money. That would really upset people around you. Balzac not only helps us critically analyze the situation, he also provides the means to deal with it. And the best advice one can get from Balzac in this situation is silent conspiracy. Obviously, when we hear the word conspiracy, lots of weird schemes pop in our heads. No, it is not that at all. Silent conspiracy is basically a strategy that allows the observer to work behind the scenes and manage the situation. After all, just like managing enterprises requires strategic maneuvers, dealing with life also requires strategy. In Cousine Beth, a maid does everything in the novel, but hardly anyone gets to know what she is doing. Becoming a silent player is an advantage that can easily be exploited by everyone. The more silent we are, the better the chance of our success. Even though it comes at a price, no one will know that we are successful. Therefore, reading Balzac is not only necessary to figure out the world around our immediate relationships. It is also important to read him to learn how to manage money. One of the primary reasons for writing 90 novels in merely 20 years of time was the heavy debt Balzac owed to his publisher. It is ironic that the writer who taught Engels the cogwheels of money circulation was himself a poor money manager. But perhaps that is why his novels are so lively. We learn more from failures than from successes. After success comes happiness. After failure comes lessons. And he made very good use of his wisdom in studying the role of failure, especially in managing money. We find money in the hands of vicious Vauxhall in the same oeuvre as we find money in the hands of wise Eugenie. There is so much to learn from Balzac in terms of living life. But certainly, understanding the circulation of money and problems arising from it is one of the central lessons of La Comédie Humaine.